Baseball show, and it is the second day of March, and we've had a pretty crazy couple days here uh, of baseball in general, specifically with what's going on in Miami. Did not think the Marlins would be stealing headlines with everything going on on the Major League Baseball side of things. Derek Jeter steps down, and of course, we have to bring on Craig Mish to come talk about it. Craig, I'm probably going to butcher all of the titles. You do so many amazing things. I'm going to say the host of Swings and Mishes first because okay. I absolutely love that podcast and you just put out an awesome episode. We're going to talk about some of the things you The, thing, the thing that I make the least amount of money from, you started first, okay? <laughs> yeah. See, because it's not about money, Craig, for me. You know, I, I really just appreciate the work. Um, yeah, Miami yeah. Herald. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to save this for 10 years from, from today. And I want, <laughs> I want you to repeat that back to me in 10 years. It's not yeah, about the money. It's about the work. <laughs> yes, of course. It's just all about the art. Get married, uh, have kids. It's not about the money. It's about the <laughs> Senior contributor, Miami Herald. Yes. Uh, what else? MLB Network. Yes. Contributor? Sports Grid. Sports Grid. You host a show every day. Yes. At noon. Every at day noon. at noon. Yes. You save the money for last right there. That's how it works. That's, that's the, the big, and then, and well, I thought the lemonade stand was the, the biggest lemonade, money. Lemonade stands catching up, right? It's really catching on. We're, uh, we, you know, got, we got four flavors right now. Pink is very hot right now. Yeah. In, uh, in South Florida. And, and look, you know, right now getting $2.99 a cup. I mean, who could complain with that? So uh, if you guys want to check out the stand, got a lot of different locations. We're thinking about starting a truck, but instead we just may use a tractor, you know, yeah. just to get stuff around because we can't afford a truck yet but you know we're making progress in that more podcasts craig i gotta ask what the other two flavors are because the only two lemonade flavors that i really know are pink and regular yeah you know that that's what i knew when i when i first started but uh i can tell you jack you know banana lemonade is very hot like the combination no it is the very combination and mango mango in south florida (laughs) is a really up-and-coming flavor Mm -hmm. as well well up and coming was kind of what Derek Jeter was trying to sell the Marlins as. His and, transition. Uh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of lemons. Speaking yeah. of lemons. Speaking of lemons. Um, I think fans don't really know how to feel about this whole thing, Craig. I mean, they don't know if they should have a sour taste in their mouth or if this is a sign of maybe better days ahead. Uh, I have some thoughts on it, but I mean, you're the guy that's been closest to this whole situation. You're the one who broke the news that Derek Jeter and the Marlins had mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, what do you make of all this? Uh, and on the most surface level, kind of kicker to start this conversation, how should fans feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that fans should be a little concerned that, you know, they, they really, you know, had a CEO that was running the team for, uh, you know, several years that both on the baseball side and the business side that had a clear and concise direction as to wh- where the organization uh, wanted to go. And they no longer have that right now. So, of course, I, I think there should be concern. I could tell you that there are people in the Marlins organization 
that are concerned. Uh, you know, people that Derek Jeter brought in are, are you don't have to be concerned, you know, and probably concerned also for their livelihoods as well, I would, I would guess. Uh, you know, but, but, in, but in the end, the body of work sort of states to me uh, that it is just very hard to be an elite player at any level and just think that you can walk in to any organization in professional sports and run it, run it effectively and win. Uh, it seems to be proven time and time again that has not been the case. There are exceptions to every rule. I mean, John Elway got, got Peyton Manning to come to Denver and they won a Super Bowl, you know? And, and you know, what has John Elway won since? Not much. And, and I don't know that he's going to be a part of Denver's uh, hierarchy. Michael Jordan is in that same category as well. Uh, so, you know, we could go through these of, of former players and, you know, who have played at the highest levels, who have been, you know, gifted uh, their position, you know, sort of like, like Derek was gifted in the sense of being CEO with no track record. But, uh, you know, having the name and the brand of, of Derek Jeter, uh, you know, and, and by the way, the player Derek Jeter enabled him to, um, you know, to be exactly who he is and deservedly so. I think he deserved that opportunity. But I think at the end, you look at the years, they were very blah. Uh, you know, the next couple of years certainly will postscript the Jeter years in Miami to see if this ended up being a success. But in the time that he was here, I can't say that that you could look at the Marlins and say overwhelmingly this was a huge win for them. I, I just I w under his tenure, I just I just don't think it was. You you know I speaking to two Miami guys here. I know you'll get this, but you know just thinking players that make the move to successful executive. My mind stops in the NBA with James Jones. Like that's the guy who has done it really successfully, but he was not Derek Jeter level here. That's Jeter, true. you're right. Like you almost feel like you have this golden ticket a la Michael Jordan in Charlotte, right? Where you were so good, you feel like, oh yeah, I can totally construct a team. And you see uh, the Lakers trying to do that with LeBron James here. Totally different scenario because an MLB front office and the NBA are different beasts. Um, but yeah, Sean, somebody... Mark, Sean Marks is somebody who's had a lot of success. Yeah, as, as Sean player. Marks for sure. Um, I knew Sean, he played for the Heat. Gotcha. Um, but as somebody, you know, on the outside looking at this and as somebody that follows the college basketball, college football coaching carousels, you see mutually agreed to part ways and you know that that doesn't always mean entirely mutual. Um, I guess from your perspective, how mutual was the agreement to part ways? Yeah, I mean, not mutual at all. I mean, it, it's, you know, d definitely, you know, conflict of, of people, conflict of interest, conflict of wants and needs. And, and um, you know, you, you, could say, you could say what you want um, about the ending of, of, of this, which happened on, on Monday, but I, I do think that this would have ended in November regardless. And I, and I think that perhaps, uh, you know, Derek Jeter knew that. I, I think maybe he saw that the writing was gonna be on the wall and, um, you know, the success had not been there. And you're Derek Jeter, you know, like you're the most popular player arguably in baseball still now. Um, you built your own brand. You were a superstar, you're a hall of famer. And, I, and, and to be honest, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, uh, you know, okay, I'm Derek Jeter. Should I have to wait and see if my contract's going to be renewed in November? I, you know, I don't blame Derek Jeter, you know, when you really think about it in the end, because if I think that highly of myself that I deserve to be the CEO of a team, regardless of how it's going, I probably think I deserve another five years and another $5 million a year, and maybe even more than that. But the ownership did not see it that way. And so, uh, you know, you know, in, you know, when, you know, when push came to shove, and I don't know how those conversations happened. I have no idea exactly, you know, exactly what, what happened here. 
but if I had to surmise, it would be, okay, you know, renew me <laughs> right now for the next five years. Uh, well, uh, you know, let's see how things go this year. You know, we, we kind of stunk last year. No one goes to the games. Can we see how the progress of all of these things over the last few years, can we see that come to fruition and then make a decision on our future? No, we cannot. Okay, yeah. well then have a great life. Yeah. To me, th that that's the way that I believe this played out. Yeah, and you know, I, I, it brought back a memory for me. Towards the end of Jeter's career, there was a sticking point with his renegotiation of his contract with the Yankees, I remember, and there was some back and forth, like, no way Jeter's going somewhere else. Like, what's going to happen there? And they worked it out. But I can imagine Jeter never wanted to be in that situation again. He's like, I'm Derek freaking Jeter. I'm not going to be waiting to see if I'm getting renewed, like you said. Uh, but on the flip side of it, right, how do we get to that point? Uh, you know, there's a few different things I look at, uh, and I laid it out in, in the article that we put out on uh, JustBaseball.com yesterday. Uh, there's a few things that stick out to me. One, which is a stat that I know you'll appreciate, Craig, the lowest OPS in Marlins history with a minimum of 400 plate appearances. One is Jeff Mathis. Two is Isan Diaz. Three is Magnera Sierra. Four is Lewis Brinson. And five is Brian Peterson. The commonality here is three of the five worst players in Marlins history were all on the same team and had a ton of chances, right? The minimum 400 plate appearances is a lot of opportunity to struggle. That shows in something you've laid out in the past, a lack of willingness to admit the faults and move on and move and, you know, just turn the page and say, we messed up there. I think we also saw that in approach to scouting. Uh, but then we also saw it on the business op sides. We saw the opposite, right? They're quick to can somebody like Chip Bowers, who maybe what, 14 months later is gone. So why were we seeing the turnover on the operation side, uh, but not really seeing the turnover on the player side? And how much did that contribute to, you know, the slow demise, right? I should say quick demise, I guess, of Jeter at the helm and that entire front office. Structure? It could be a matter also of Derek just wearing too many hats in the organization, um, you know, and not, and not delegating enough, not letting decisions being made enough by the people that he hired. I think that that has to be uh, a factor as well. Uh, so look, on we'll, we'll start with the with the business side. Well, with the business side, in Derek's defense, pandemic, you know, postseason where you couldn't have fans come to your games, you weren't even playing your postseason games against the Cubs. You were having to go to Chicago to play those. Uh, the goodwill that was built, you you were never able to really see what that would have been like with fans in the stands. They certainly didn't show up in 2021. They still were last in attendance or, or second to last in attendance. The attendance was going down. It was not coming up. Um, so on the business side, I, I mean, I don't know that a lot really changed from the previous regime. It was still sort of, you know, go, except for, you know, the trust factor. People trusted Derek, I think, more than they trusted the previous regime. And then on the baseball side, as you mentioned, look, they, they came in with a very clear path to success, which was we are going to be the most athletic team in Major League Baseball. We are going to bring in speed guys. Uh, you know, steal second, you know, play great defense, um, you know, on base, whatever the heck with it. We, we're, we are just going to outrun you. We're going to out hustle you. We're going to outwork you. Not a recipe for success in major league baseball. I mean, bat to ball skills, you know, have been the number one thing that has succeeded in baseball for a long time until this new era of the walk, the hit and the strikeout Marlins just basically did the strikeout. So uh, none of that worked. None of that worked. And um 
you know, I, I, I am curious to see now because you don't really hear their general manager, Kim Ng, talk a lot about, oh, we want athletes, we want athletes. But when Mike Hill was the general manager, that's what he said. You know, oh, we're going to bring in athletes. It was more of just, you know, kind of repeating what uh, Derek Jeter and Gary Denbo wanted to do. But that was not successful. And of all of the athletes they got, you really can only look at one or two and say they look potentially like they uh, they fit the bill. And I, and I think that a new direction in terms of that is about to happen uh, with the Marlins. I don't I don't think you'll see that play out. So uh, baseball side wise, one success 2020s playoff run outside of that, not very little. And on the business side, clearly things were promised to the, the owners and investors that did not come to fruition in the time that he was there. And on the field, off the field, they can piggyback off of each other, right? You, you have a more successful team. You have a sexier team to go see. You've got better players. You're going to get more fans in the stands. You get more nationally televised games, all that. You get more postseason games. That's a cash cow here. And that gives you money to operate with. Something that I'm looking at here, Jeter's regime signed three guys to multi-year deals, right? Corey Dickerson, two years, 17 and a half. Anthony Bass, two years, five. And then Avi Garcia this past offseason have yet to see him play in a Marlins uniform. Right. Are they going to spend more? Are they going to go with the multi-year deals now that this chapter is turned? Like this is a new chapter of Marlins baseball. Right. So that's that's a very good question. And, and I don't know the answer to that necessarily. But I think that when you mention especially the first two deals, I think that that also goes in the uh, on the resume as we're doing this autopsy. Uh, over the last few years. And from an ownership's perspective, Jack, if you are the owner, if you are Bruce Sherman, and you look at those first two deals that were made, are you willing at this point to say, hey, a person that gave those players those deals, go ahead and do some more. And by the way, while you're at it, here's some more money. You know, I don't think that would happen. And, And by the way, the same player um, I'm sorry, the same executive. And, and some of this was Mike Hill. Of course, some of it was Kim Ng. And by the way, there have been some success stories. Anthony Bender is, is a good name for one of them. Um, it's not to say that everybody that they signed was a bust, but uh, okay, you signed Matt Joyce and you signed Curtis Granderson and you brought in Matt Kemp. And like, we can keep going. Like, where was your hit? Where was your diamond in the rough? Where was your... Uh, you know, Randy Rose Arena. I, I don't know. We, you know, where was your guy that you that no one thought that was going to be good? Like it was just like off the Joe radar. Panic. Yeah, like <laughs> like where was that guy? Where, where was the one that shocked the world that said, "Wow, the Marlins, uh, you know, pro scouting and development found this guy, signed him as a free agent, and and he and he turned out and he turned and he was much better." than the contract you gave. Oh, here is one, Adam Duvall. Thank you. Okay, so that guy turned out, and then you traded him for nothing. And then you trade him, yeah. Right, so so Adam Duvall was probably the one, but I I, I just also felt like there, there wasn't uh, a lot of that. Now, I know the counter to that as well, you spend more money, you get better players. Look, I'm sorry, I'll go over 30 teams in Major League Baseball, and I'm going to find some diamond in the rough on every team that th- this team gave this guy a one year, 1 million Toronto gave Simeon one year, 10 million. I'm going to find a guy yep. that's going to outperform that and shock everyone. It could have been Dickerson. It could have been Bass. It could have been Granderson. Um, it could have Matt Kemp could have been a star in one more year. I mean, it, it, these things could have happened, but, but virtually none of them did. And so on the ownership side, what are you supposed to do? Are you, are you, uh, well, 
let's just keep it. Let's just, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. I mean, it would be foolish. And so um, he gave Avisel, he let Derek sign Avisel Garcia to four years and 44. I mean, he let him do it. So, I mean, there's still, as you can see, there was still faith there right up until the end, which is why that whole nonsense about the owner not being willing to spend money is, is just kind of nonsense at that, because just before they signed uh, Sandy to five years, 50 some million, they gave Garcia almost 45 million too. It's something that's just clicking in my mind right now here. Derek Jeter has 3,000 hits, right? He's one of very few in baseball history that has 3,000 hits. How many people do you think are debuting in Major League Baseball right now saying, I want to have 3,000 hits? Because the thinking has changed, like you're saying, right? I want to hit 500 home runs. Obviously, 3,000 would be great, but how many bat-to-ball 330 with five home run guys are there left? Nick Madrigal, David Fletcher, list might stop there, right? Was the thinking outdated with how the Marlins were constructing their roster? It was progressive, but it was it was not it was not well thought of. Um, it was progressive to the point that we're going to get these athletes and we're going to kind of turn them into some of uh, some of those players that you're mentioning there, uh, like 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 Monte Harrison, like Don Mattingly famously had said, "Oh, this is going to be an exciting player. This is going to be the Mookie next Bats. Mookie Betts. This is going to be the next Mookie Betts, right? Mookie Betts. Like like they thought that through their their development that they were going to develop those players uh, into that, and that that just did not happen, especially on the on the hitting side. They really did not. Um, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit on the pitching side because certainly they've been able to develop that." Um, and, and they've, and they've brought in, you know, Scott Aldred, I know is one of their very important development guys on the minor league side, as far as pitching. And they've hit, looks like on an international kid too, named Yuri Perez. So there, there have been some hits, there have been some misses, but I do think that the strategy is, is going to change. I think you saw a little bit of that, w- whatever happens with Joey Wendell, I'm not really sure, but Joey Wendell is sort of that guy. Like he puts the bat on the ball. Like he's going to get some hits and you know, he's going to get on base. He's not going to strike out a million times. Um, you know, Starling Marte was that guy. Unfortunately, they were not able to keep him too. So I, I do see a shift. I do. But when they first came in back in 2017, 18, I mean, you, the, the blueprint was, was not a success with all of those names that we mentioned in the Yelich trade, this, you know, oh, let's get Magnera Sierra. Let's hang on to Magnera Sierra for a million years. Like that, that's uh, that philosophy. I don't know if it was outdated. I feel like the Marlins felt like they were being progressive or we're going to kind of change the game and bring back the eighties where, Oh, we're going to just steal and run around. Uh, but um, you know, clearly they were not able to develop those players into that. So you bring up a really good point about how even the big spenders have found their diamonds in the rough. And that was an episode that Jack and I actually did on the show a while back, just looking at all of the best rosters in baseball and mm-hmm. How many of them have homegrown talent or guys that they snatched up for cheap? You look at the Astros. Most of those guys are homegrown. Uh, You look at the Dodgers even. A lot of their guys are homegrown. You look at a lot of the teams across the landscape. They develop their own talent, and then they spend to accentuate those little spots that they need accentuated. I think that's where there's a little bit of a disconnect and people don't totally realize because they don't ever really look back and say, how did these guys get here? Uh, For the Marlins, like you said, they've built the pitching side of things really well. And something that I've already seen a little bit of a concern across Marlins fans is, okay, the one thing that the Marlins have done well is develop that pitching. Now Jeter's gone. Now that might mean that Denbo is eventually gone. Um, And maybe with that, some of the guys that help identify those pitchers and helped kind of institute what has been a successful system in that regard what do you say about that? Uh, is the Marlins' ability to develop pitchers going to be 
affected or impacted at all in your eyes? I mean, in the end, I think that everybody, if you ask them, would you like to go do whatever Derek Jeter is doing? Or would you like to be part of the Marlins organization for the next five years? I think they would take the Marlins organization. I'm pretty sure. Now I I would guess that, you know, Gary in particular, without question is a loyalist to Derek. I mean, above all else. I mean, it was really those two that built this system and, and started everything over from when they came in. So it wouldn't shock me in, in a year you know, at the end of this year to see Gary leave. It wouldn't shock me to see Gary retire. He really, when you think about all the things that he's accomplished in baseball, there are a lot. Uh, but he, you know, it could be just time for him. I don't, I don't know that to be the case. He has a deal through next year, 2023. But uh, every indication I've gotten is that he is back for this season, whether or not that lasts uh, seven months, seven days, or seven years, I don't know. Um, so, I, but I, I think you're surmising that he's gone after this year and next is probably fair. But beyond that, no, I, I don't think anybody should be affected unless they just show this this extreme loyalty to Derek. And and maybe they should. I mean, they, Derek brought these people in. But uh, I can tell you that from my intel and from my perspective, I think this was a little bit of a wake-up call for a lot of the people in the organization. And they, I, I think, should now realize <laughs> they're they're definitely not working for the guy that brought them in anymore and it's time to make sure that the focus is you know continues along the lines of the things that they built so I get the sense there are some people that are upset but I I definitely think that they still have their eyes on the prize and so no I don't anticipate that now all of a sudden if Derek Jeter became the CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks tomorrow like yeah I mean that could change I mean all of a sudden here we go like that's you know people are moving in and out but I, I see this being the same for this for this season for sure You know, my thought here, uh, with your finger on the pulse of the the Marlins organization and seeing constantly the Marlins fan reaction, how excited is everybody that Kim Ang is finally going to be the final decision maker here and really have the reins? I mean, nobody's going to be excited because, you know, under Kim's, uh, you know, general managership thus far, nothing has really happened to indicate anything one way or the other, whether she's great or whether she's not. Like we really just have no idea because while they still maintain that they have this collaborative effort going on, uh, I maintain that in the end, you know, you know Derek and, and Gary were, were really overwhelmingly making the final calls of this. And, and basically at some point during Kim's first six months sort of chose, hey, look, um, we're going to do this. You know, Kim's our general manager. Yes, but we're going to do this. Well, well now it's going to change. And while inevitably a CEO will come in to be Kim's boss, I think, in my opinion, uh, it should be somebody that she can work with. And it, it, it's, it, it should be a tandem working. And there was definitely not tandem going on. And by the way, this is the same person Derek Jeter hired to become the general manager. So be that as it may, I believe Kim now has the proper footing, clearly the background to be able to do this job. I feel like she was put in a really uncomfortable spot in the first year, pretty much, of her tenure. And now we're going to find out whether or not, bottom line, uh, she can take the assets that the Marlins and Derek Jeter and Gary Denbo have assembled, because they've assembled a lot. They've done a good job. Job is not done. Job is now taking those assets, completing good trades. If Kim can do that, Kim will be the general manager of the Marlins for a long time. And if she cannot, this new CEO, whoever it is, We'll probably pick a new general manager in in due time. So to wrap up here, 
you kind of teased what I wanted to ask you on, on, on the end is what does the other side of the lockout look like for the Marlins? Uh, it, it seems like, I mean, I've been pounding on the desk for the Marlins to, to trade some of these prospects at the end of the day, you know, some of them are going to turn into, you know, nothing. And some of them are going to turn into really good players. But at the end of the day, I think if you look at the value of a top of your top 10 prospects now versus what they're likely to be in a few, in a few years, if you, pick and choose the two you like. And then the other eight you trade, for example, I don't think you should trade that many, but hypothetically speaking, uh, you'll probably come out ahead in terms of value, right? You're getting proven big league talent for prospects. It's pretty simple equation for whatever reason we saw reluctance to really take that approach uh, by the Marlins before. Uh, Are they going to go a a little bit of the spending route? Are they going to go make some trades for, you know, with the prospects that they have, as we know, they have a very good system and they have enough controllable pitching at the big league level that they could trade away this surplus of arms. Do you see them spending a little bit and making trades? How active do you see the Marlins being on the other side of this lockout? Um, And how quickly do you think it's going to start to take off? Because again, this is a weird spot where, I mean, we're going to kick right into spring training, hopefully if this lockout's over and the season will be here before you know it. How do they approach that, and and how quick do you think things will get going? Sure, I don't know the quickness of it. That's you know that's probably impossible for me to know. Maybe more for more of the national guys to know than myself because I'm not as plugged in in terms of lockout ending and how fast things get ratified. Um, but I, I do believe the Marlins have a big trade in them for sure, and and I do feel like they will spend a combination of both. But I, I guess the question you would have to ask yourself is if they made a big trade and they were able to acquire a center fielder per se that everybody really liked, uh, would that be enough? And you'd look at their lineup and plug that hole and say, do they really need to go out and, and get anybody else? My guess is Marlins fans would be content. That, that's, that's my guess. Now, uh, you know, from Derek's perspective, Derek's perspective, and uh, I'll leave you with this. So Derek's perspective essentially is, is that, you know, I built, I built this farm system and all these prospects are great. So because I did that, and this is my opinion, by the way, because I did that, let me now go to the ownership and have them spend $200 million to go with all of these players that I got in the farm system. And that's not going to work in this market. I mean, we got to be realistic as to, you know, we already saw Stanton, how that worked out. And Castellanos is a guy that's going to command that kind of money. So huge disconnect to me in terms of that. The reason why the farm system was built was not so you can just stare at them and look at fan graphs and go, gosh, fan graphs put us fourth overall. That's amazing. That's not the reason why you did that. Now, it would be one thing if you also had 10 offensive guys that were ranked very high too, we'd be having a different conversation. But you have a deficiency there and everyone knows where the deficiency is. So the answer is not holding those prospects and spending the money. It is now the Marlins, what they need to do is spend some, but take those prospects and trade them and trade them for players that can play right now and do the same thing that the teams that were trying to win did to you back in 2017, 18 and refortify your major league that's, system by trading the minor league system. And then they'll have um, success. That's the craziest part, Craig. They get fleeced in the yellow shield. And I get you won those in a deal. It's always about winning and losing. That's not what I'm really talking about, but you saw what happened with the brewers. They took assets that are now worthless, absolutely worthless. And that turned into to Christian Yelich. So Great point there. Uh, but Craig, thank you so much for the time, man. Your insight is always just so much. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, you always have all of the information it's awesome. that you need on the Marlins and beyond. Yeah, awesome is the word to describe it. Thank you for the time, Craig. Uh, 
if people want to hear more about what Craig has to say about all this, check out the latest episode of Swings and Mishes. Fantastic podcast over there with a full breakdown. But Craig, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to hopefully talking to you after the Marlins make some moves on the (laughs) other side of the lockout. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Peter, the good news is that interview with Mish was a lot of fun and really informative. And one of my one of my favorite guests that we've had in terms of like insider stuff, because oh, yeah. he, he has big time scoops and he's just so casual and funny about it that sometimes you don't even realize that you're getting like big time information. Uh, but Mish was awesome. Unfortunately, on the other side of it, since we recorded that interview with Mish and since we're now talking again, uh, not great news on the lockout end of things. Um, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a roller coaster. Uh, this is kind of what we were expecting if you asked us two days ago. Actually, if you asked us 24 hours ago. Uh, but last night's momentum kind of got us excited and uh, was kind of all for naught. Kind of was all for naught. So currently, this is straight from Jeff Passan. Here are the problems. There are the changes in the competitive balance tax, which is kind of like MLB's version of a salary cap in a way you hear it called. Yeah. You hear it called the luxury tax all the time. Um, But just going over where the thresholds were, the MLBPA's previous offer, it was 238 million and then increasing to 244, 250, 256, 263. The MLB's best and final offer quote unquote, 220, 220, 220, 224 and 230. So, but they're not that far apart, dude, but going back to the pre-arbitration bonus pools, which is the other problem. The players offered 85 million with a 5 million annual increase while the owners are set on a 5 million increase on the pre-arbitration bonus pool from 25 million to 30 million. The minimums, they seem to be pretty solid. The MLBPA is at 725 going up 20K a year while the owners are at 700,000 moving up to 10,000 per year. Yeah, so the good news is it seems like the minimum salary is pretty much settled. The The playoff format seems to be okay. It's just I, – here's the thing is we think that they've made progress and then all of a sudden we're like, no, 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 never mind, never mind. Uh, but it seems like 12-team postseason was agreed upon. Um, and I, I think that there's a level of the disappointment because we thought there might even be a deal tonight, like the night before or today – uh, you know, really kind of makes it seem like this is an absolute atrocity. It's pretty close to an atrocity that they're canceling games. We always thought this was going to happen and they have made some progress. So there's some silver lining there. Uh, but, you know, they're still so far apart on the uh, on that bonus pool that it, it's tough. Uh, I, I see I see how 110 was a really high starting point. But also, yeah. you know, I at the end of the day, when you're splitting it up amongst 30 players, it's it's a million apiece right now from what MLB is offering that's not that much of a kicker for some of these guys that are performing well pre-arb so I get it if they could meet in the middle there it would be great but it seems like that's too much to ask for uh it's frustrating I still I still don't think we're missing more than a few weeks a month max it sucks uh but I'm still holding out that I just don't think it's gonna they're gonna let it get that bad the owners never really cared about the first month anyways I think they'll start caring about it once we get a little bit further in but it's incredibly frustrating. And uh, I know I, I wish they didn't tease us. I wish they didn't. I almost wish that we never had that whole I know. situation I mean, the night before. 
us, I assume everyone who listens to this podcast, big baseball fans, probably refreshing Twitter till about 2.30 a.m. in the morning. And now looking back on it, feels kind of stupid. But at the time, we thought there was real potential. It seemed increasingly Bob Nightingale took the scale and kind of became the own commissioner of baseball. I, mean, I was kind of fired up for Bob Nightingale. But we do have an update. So Rob Manfred came in and spoke on MLB Network, and he said that they are canceling the first two series of MLB regular seasons. That's straight from Jeff Passan, John Morosi, basically anyone with a baseball Twitter just retweeted Jeff Passan. So two series, that's about a week's worth of games, maybe a little bit more. I agree with you. I don't think we're going to lose more than two weeks, maybe a month at the most. This does not mean that the season is canceled, not in any way, shape, or form. Just because they've canceled a little bit, we assume this. Like, let's not pretend that we all didn't assume this. I mean, I was still over 161 and a half, and so were you, but and because we thought that that was a real possibility. But in the back of our mind, we always thought, okay, two weeks, month at the most. And I don't think that we got any more news that makes me think any differently on that fact. Well, especially over the last like, couple of days, you know, prior to the, the random midnight momentum, um, you know, we, we seem pretty, pretty keen on the fact that it was probably going to be delayed. Uh, so, you know, I, I still think they're better off than where they were a couple of days ago. I think with the deadline looming, they did make progress in, in a lot of areas. Uh, there's no doubting that. Uh, I mean, there was a scenario on that midnight madness where they actually thought they could potentially get a deal done. And, yeah. and I know players are saying, oh, that was posturing and, and whatever. I Maybe some of it was posturing it, but at the same time, they're not going back and forth at two in the morning in Jupiter, Florida at that complex if they didn't think there was a shot, right? Like you're not wasting your time all night long. You would just go back to it the next day or you would just say the deadline's coming. We'll have to figure it out. I, I think that they did get pretty close. Um, and I just don't know what happened at some point along the way there where it went from pretty close to just the players saying no. Um, but whatever that was, it's so hard to really be able to talk about it because so much of it is PR strategy. So much yes. of it is strategic leaking and using a lot of these media members as you know, kind of megaphones uh, for them. And it's, I can't imagine what it's like on the, for the media members. you got to sift through the bullshit and figure out what is being strategically planted and given to you versus what is fact. And uh, for us, it's the same kind of struggle uh, as a, you know, the third party. I, it, I've, I said it since day one, you got to take this shit with a grain of salt. And, you know, I think we've kind of seen that because it seems like we're going back and forth in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's really one of those things where you just, it's, it's really hard to trust everything you're hearing because so much of it is PR strategy from very smart people who know very smart people. They know how to use the media to their favor. And I want to throw a specific tweet at you because this tweet got me very upset as, as soon as he said it, it but it is true, but it just seems like it's posturing for the owners. And this was from John Rossi, who I really do like, but his tweet, and maybe I'm reading too far into this. Maybe it's me refreshing at the lockout, no sleep and me thinking. So that's why I want to throw it to you. He tweeted, MLB's proposal today would increase the minimum salary to 700,000 this year, up from 570,000 in 2021. This is the largest single year increase in MLB history at MLB Network. He's not wrong, but there are much more issues. And that makes it seem that the owners did all that they could at the final moment 
for the players. But that's just not true. We heard Alex Wood immediately come out and say that the owners are posturing, that the union was under the assumption that they were on the same side of the deal, that things were moving forward. So just be weary of a lot of these tweets that are going to see very pro-owner. But the reality of the situation was it took 43 days for the owners to respond to the MLBPA's proposal, which led to all the chaos at the final 11th hour. So be weary, again, of the posturing from some of these people because they're going to try and convince you that it's all in the player's fault when I'm not being convinced. It is the owners, and I'm still on the owners for this. Kind of a great play by the owners. Again, I mean, these these guys are billionaires with with some of the top PR people behind them uh, and attorneys as well. Uh, What a genius play to – at least make it seem like there was a ton of momentum. I, I think there was legit momentum, but really play up the momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Tell all the reporters that all of this is happening. We're getting close to a deal. And then right, as you said, at that 11th hour saying, Oh, the players, uh, they're, they're going to reject this. Cause they knew the players would probably end up rejecting they knew that, it. that final offer. And it looks like the players are the ones that stifled the momentum. Uh, that is, you know, it's, it's chess. They're playing 4d chess. They're good. And that's, what's really tough. And that's why, you know, I, I am really frustrated at the owner's inability to, to give, but I do think that they're just getting outclassed, the, the MLBPA is, because I think Tony Clarkson over his head. Uh, and, yeah. and we know that Rob Manfred, look, he, he's not a good commissioner for baseball, but he's one hell of a labor attorney. Um, and there's a reason why he is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. It's because he's one hell of a labor attorney. It's nothing to do with baseball. Yeah. I, I tweeted I tweeted a quote, actually, that I dug mm-hmm. up from <laughs> one of his I think it was like alumni spotlight on one of the uh, attorney off like what one of the law firms he used to work for. And it was like, we like going to the ballpark sometimes, but he prefers. And then, and then it went back to third person. It was like, but Manfred prefers to play golf most of the time. And then when asked about playing any pickup baseball, he said, I was the worst little leaguer ever. Um, so it's like, he, he, I don't even think he really cares about baseball. I don't think he hates it. I think it's almost like as if you or I were the commissioner of, hockey be like all right like it's entertaining it's it's all right you know it's I feel like you and i would care more though i think oh we definitely would but Go it, panthers right yeah oh panthers are <laughs> i love hockey um maybe like lacrosse i don't know but it, it, it's it's one of those things where he, he one doesn't really care about the sport and two he's focused on doing his job which is you know be in the back pocket of the owners and yeah he's doing a good job of it gotta give him credit there I guess, I guess he's doing a good job of that part of the commissioner's also, role. For some reason, I don't know, like, I know why, but I just have so much, I already have anger at Ron Manfred. Something about Dick Monfort just pisses me off. Like, I just want to say, fuck Dick Monfort. His name. <laughs> yeah, honestly, never... fuck Dick Monfort. Yeah, I'm on same side too. I mean, you sucked with the Rockies and now you're in the middle of this, like not doing shit. They've had more first round picks retire than any, any franchise I've ever seen. And uh, why is he at the table? Suck. The Rockies blow. And why is Monfort at, like, why is he in charge of this shit? Why is he one of the leading guys? He can't even run his own freaking franchise. The Arenado deal alone should be like, all the owners should look at him and just be like, dude, just, just, just take a back seat here. I, I have no I would, idea. If almost I'm the owners, I feel like he could sabotage the whole thing by yeah, giving he, it into the players being like, I mean, he gave the Cardinals $50 million. What if he just accidentally did that? <laughs> he, just, <laughs> like, he literally did it. What if Monfort like is just confused? What if he has no idea what's actually going on? Like he's like, is this where is this where we're siding Trevor's story? Because the yeah. Rockies are going for it. Is this our new park? Like I I just 
I don't know why, but I hate Dick Monfort. I'm just, just going to throw that out there. I'm not a fan either. And if you ever want to slander any more owners on a pod, I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'll, I'll jump on it. Yeah. Where's Bruce Sherman, man? Bruce Sherman, come save us. Derek Jeter. Derek What's Jeter. Now? What's he up to? And that's the crazy thing. The interview with Craig Mish, it's always sources tell ESPN, and then you see them from passing. The source was Craig Mish. Yeah, for the Derek Jeter story. Yeah, that, that's the sources tell Jeff Passan, this is the source. Yeah, that's yeah, why you know, I'm excited. Well, this is also the outro on top of the interview, but yeah, but know, it the, is cool. interview, like, yeah, for people that just listen to it, it, it you know, I, I think we'll have a lot of my fish, my fish friends that, uh, you know, that I've probably listened to us in the past and have, you know, followed us on Twitter for a while because of the Marlins connection. But for those who may not know Craig Mish, I mean, Craig Mish is as plugged in on the Marlins side of things and, and he transcends the Marlins. But when it comes to the fish, I mean, he broke the Stanton trade. He broke the Ozuna trade. He broke every big trade. And I mean, Jeff Passan was the one that's, you know, giving credit to Mish on this story. Yes. So we could not, as you said, we could not have gotten a better source on yep. this whole Jeter saga Besides Jeter, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Except (laughs) then it's probably Mish. (laughs) Peter would have told us less. You know, he would have told us less. So, I mean, you definitely got it pretty much from as close to the horse's mouth as you can. And I I hope you enjoyed that interview. Again, I I got a few tweets. I I know you probably saw it too, Peter, because we both were tagged in a few of them. And like people saying that we've gotten them through the the lockout. Um, That's the best compliment we can get. Ever. Um, You know, I can't express enough how much we appreciate people actually continuing to tune in here. Uh, we're always going to keep giving you fresh content. I think we could probably go for another four months. I think we'd start running out of shit in about four months. Uh, if there was Maybe. no baseball, if there was we no baseball, up, I think we'd start I could come up with shit. some hypotheticals. Yeah, like we, we, we could start getting into just like, we could start simming the entire season. I mean, we could start getting we crazy. Got, we but, got a lot more time, but, but yeah. the point is like, I mean, just, just, we got a lot more content and we got a lot more things we're excited to do, but you know, I know a lot of people are frustrated with baseball, canceling their MLB TV subscriptions and doing all those things. And I, I totally encourage all of those things, uh, but I really appreciate you all still supporting us because we're still going to come out here and, and put this content out. And I mean, this is our job and it, it's, uh, it's really awesome. I'm always nervous looking at the podcast numbers. Like, oh, are people going to start, you know, taking their foot off the gas a little bit and checking out and so they keep going up. So I, I just wanted to mention that uh, because this was a very frustrating couple days that the silver lining is, I mean, it, the listens have been amazing. Uh, the support has been amazing. And what has been probably one of the worst stretches for baseball in a very long time. We're stretches for baseball in a very long time. And you and I, when we were talking, you know, during COVID time, creating this business, just baseball media, when we were talking about it, you know, we thought COVID would be the biggest problem. And I put that out on Twitter and just wanted to say that I love you guys and that we will not stop making baseball content. But of course, COVID seems like a small hurdle, even though it's, you know, it's been terrible across our country. But in terms of just in the baseball scope, not having games is certainly not helpful, but as I'm sure everyone is aware at this point, we don't really care if there are games or not. We're going to keep talking <laughs> baseball five days a week on the just baseball show. You're releasing multiple episodes a week on the call up. We just dropped tomorrow. Top 30 fantasy baseball, second baseman. Cause we know we're going to have a season and we got to prep for fantasy baseball season. And we also, you know what, maybe if you're listening to the just baseball show and you just don't want to listen to MLB stuff anymore, Honestly, I kind of get it. That's why we have a college baseball podcast called the boys of spring college baseball is sick. 
and the minor leagues are going to happen too. I'm so, so the call up and the, it's going to be awesome. Like that, that's what we know. Um, I'm, you know, me, I'm trying to stay as positive as possible. I, and this is not just positivity thinking. I really would be shocked if we lost more than a month of games. They're a lot closer than they were. And I'm just excited to talk college baseball on Friday's episode. Cause that's going to be fun too. Yeah, I mean, college baseball is extremely talented right now. There's a lot of really, really – I mean, this draft is loaded. And then we have, you know, the minor leagues starting up pretty soon. And, I mean, Jack and I talked about a lot of the prospects that won't be able to play that are on the 40-man. But, I mean, there are so, so, so many sick, sick prospects that are going to be playing from day one. Um, And, you know, we'll be covering it even more so uh, just because we'll be so locked in on – college and and you know prospects as well so definitely excited on that side of things um definitely excited the interesting thing is as these prospects are performing if, if the minor league season starts and you know there's going to be minor league games for a little while now for a few weeks at least before uh, the big league season starts you're going to kind of get an idea with some of your fringe prospects that are close to big league debuts like they could almost prove themselves to be ready by the time the big league season comes around. Like it's very unique. Um, very so, unique. And it also is like some of these prospects might boost their draft, their uh, trade value. And then by the time we get to the other side of the, uh, the lockout, we might see some guys getting moved around and stuff. So there's a lot of interesting things going on. Um, and, you know, the minor leagues are still going to be really important in the grand scheme of things. And a lot of guys trying to prove that, you know, they can crack that delayed opening day. Uh, starting lineup or roster. So uh, a lot to talk about there. That'll be a fun thing to watch. And again, college baseball with ESPN plus and everything definitely highly encourage people to watch that. And uh, we will have all the coverage for you there. Um, And then on the just baseball show side of things, a lot more fun interviews, a lot more GM episodes, a lot more of just basically all of these types of conversations and more of the same. So uh, it seems like everyone's been enjoying that really appreciate the support as we said, and, uh, Man, this lockout won't last forever. Um, baseball will be played again uh, at, at sometime sooner rather than later. Um, but I know it's kind of hard to, to wrap our heads around that right now with all the frustration, but we'll get there. Baseball will be back soon. We're going to be with you every step of the way. And with that, thank you, everybody.